Welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ, where we love to encourage you to build intimacy with Christ. We'll bring you insights and teachings to help you grow in your walk with Jesus, ultimately becoming the strong, godly woman you were created to be. Here's Ashley Pope Todorova. Hello and welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ Ministries Bible Study. My name is Ashley Pope Todorova founder of Ladies Who Love Christ. If you're new here, we are so grateful. Uh, tonight, we are in session three of our Philippians Bible study, um, chapter three. We are going to be walking through chapter three. If you're new and you're just popping in, maybe you're tuning in on your favorite podcast platform, go back and listen to session one and session two. Um, they're both there for you. So now tonight, what I would like you girls to do, everybody, Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. The goal here, the goal is for you to, as much as possible, open the Bible, open a paper copy of the Bible. The reason that I say that is that we, um, hold on one second, I, I want to make sure that I'm not. Hold on, girls, on Facebook. If I lose you, I'll be back. Uh, if you're tuning in, just give me a moment. I'm making sure my connection is um, strong. It doesn't seem like it is, but um, somebody on Facebook, go ahead and give me a little comment, Heather, anybody, and let me know that there's no interruptions that you guys can hear me. Um, but going back to what I was saying, I want you to use the paper copy of the Bible as much as you can, because our phones spit back distractions. We have one hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes together tonight. And I really want you to glean as much as you can from scripture. And when you have your phone out, if you're using an app, you really have to execute a lot of discipline. Thank you, gals. Good. Okay. I was a little nervous. Um, but you have to execute a lot of discipline when using your device because you'll get texts, messages, you name it. And go figure, the second we open God's word is the second that they're all going to come. I promise you that <laughs> you're going to start getting blown up with messages. Okay, so if you have your Bibles open to Philippians 3, and I'm going to give you just a brief overview, um, but before I do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Lord, thank you so much for these beautiful, beautiful women. I thank you so much for their lives, for their hearts, for you, their hunger for you, their desire to truly know you, to know you uh, in the way that 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 you want us to know you through the gospel, through the good news, through your scriptures that you've given us, Lord, you've not left one thing unturned for us. You've given us everything we need. So tonight, as we dig into your word, uh, I pray that you help us all to still distractions, to just give ourselves one hour, one hour, maybe a little bit more, but one hour to come into your presence, Lord, and just give you our very best and our best focus. Lord, as I always pray, take over, because apart from you, I cannot do this. And I'm grateful that you show up and you meet me every week. It's in Jesus' beautiful and precious and holy, holy name I pray. Amen. So a quick overview of Philippians chapter three. Okay. The first thing is this chapter. And if you notice Philippians is short chapters, they're not long at all, but Philippians chapter three mainly deals with exhortations to holy living. Paul is talking to the Philippians and he is going to highlight for them what 
um, true Christians should exhibit in their day-to-day -day lives, what types of behaviors, how we're to act. And then likewise, as we talk about Judaizers and uh, Judaizers and what that is and what that means tonight, what not to do. Okay. And I, as I was studying and preparing for tonight, I thought, man, it is so easy to fall into the habits of the Judaizers if you're not careful in this world. So we're going to really parallel that. But the overarching picture here is exhortations. He's really strongly encouraging the Philippians to, um, to a higher standard, to a standard that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we study scripture, we find that Obviously, time, culture, context, you girls know that by now, but we find that these are exhortations. These are calls to action for us too, okay? So you're going to glean a lot tonight from this. Um, this chapter is a beautiful appeal for Christians to devote themselves to the service of Christ. And, and this is not as Paul is going to dig deep into. This is not a legalistic thing. This is not an adherence to the law. This is not a check, 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 check all of the boxes. But he's saying we're doing this out of a pure heart that is motivated to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And so he goes in depth on what that means. And in our lives, ladies, um, not just Paul talking to the Philippians, but right here, right now. Um, how we can devote ourselves to service of Jesus, to the service of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, right? So we're going to talk about that. Paul issued a clear warning in these passages that are that are coming up in this chapter about the Jewish teachers who um, who urged the necessity of complying with the Mosaic laws. Basically, they were saying. Um, you have to do this, this, and this, and this to truly have and gain salvation. And this teaching was abominable, and it was abhorrent to Paul. He um, rejected this greatly, and so much so that he penned it in Philippians, the absolute dire importance of, of pursuing Jesus Christ, honoring him, truly being a devoted Christian and person that, that points to Christ, but not holding to the law and saying it's Jesus plus something. Ladies, let's bring it right here, right now. Anytime anybody says to you, it's Jesus plus this, Jesus and this, then you know right then and there, that is a massive red flag. It's Jesus plus nothing. And Paul knew that. He was urging the Philippians to, uh, to avoid being like um, the Jewish people who were saying you have to hold to all of these laws in order to be righteous. Okay. He was saying through faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, right? This is the only way. And ladies, people are buying into this now in a very different way in our technological world, right? There's a lot of legalism. So we're going to unpack that tonight. Um, he was talking about the people who boast in being Jews regarding themselves as favorites to God because they were Jewish. And then Paul's also exhorting the Philippians to aim for Christ. Listen to this. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at the word goal in the Greek and what it really means tonight. But Paul is exhorting them to aim for Christ, 
not worldly means or adherence to laws, okay? But Jesus and Jesus alone. No worldly means, nothing else, but Jesus and Jesus alone. So, so in a very simplistic, basic way, that is an overview of chapter three. Now, I want to read to you Philippians chapter three, verse one. Turn to Philippians three, verse one. And it says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. In verse one, now next week, we're really going to dig deep into this, okay? Because joy, rejoice and joy is all over Philippians. But he starts this, this chapter saying, rejoice in the Lord. It was another call, as you've seen woven throughout Philippians, to rejoice in the Lord. Gals, he didn't say, listen, rejoice when things are good. Rejoice when everything is going your way. Rejoice then and only then. He said, rejoice in the Lord. And then he, he gave his life as an example of the sufferings and the things that he was enduring and even writing to him, to them from prison. He wasn't saying rejoice just on the mountaintop moments. He was saying rejoice at all times because our hope, our hope is in the Lord. So we're going to pick up with that theme of joy next week. But first, he wants to deal with the Judaizers. Now, let's read chapter uh, 3, verse 2 and verse 3. I'm going to read these to you. Give me just a minute. Let me move my post-it. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then verse 3 and we're going to unpack this in, in greater depth tonight. In verse three, for we are the circumcision. He's saying to the Philippians, we, true Christians, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We're going to stop there. So the first thing you need to know, and I covered this, but just in case you're jumping in. The first thing you need to know is the Judaizers were people that insisted that Christians needed to obey Old Testament ceremonial laws. It was, it was, it was, you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this to be declared righteous. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that is not the way that we ought to be. The Judaizers hold to a promise of spiritual progress. Write this down. They hold to a, uh, a promise of spiritual progress through adherence to the rules of the old covenant. Okay. That's verse two. Now he says, look out for the dogs. Here's the irony in that statement. When you hear that today, you think, oh, wow, that's like, that's, you know, uh, that's modern day lingo or language, right? Like the, a dog. The Jews then at that time used to call Gentiles that they deemed unclean dogs, okay? They used to call the Gentiles, the Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs, unclean, dirty, not righteous, 
not worthy enough, not good enough, not doing enough. They were dogs. What Paul was saying here is look out for the dogs. He was using their own language against them, the language that they used against the Gentiles. He was using their own language and he was saying, no, no, really that term is for you guys. That term dogs is really for you Judaizers who are saying that you have to adhere to all of the laws, okay? Paul, on the other hand, was holding himself out as an example of someone, write this down. Paul was holding himself out as an example of someone who knows that real progress, real progress consists only in being increasingly conformed to the image of Christ's death and resurrection. So as he's talking to the Philippians, he's telling them there's no adherence to the law. There's nothing you can do to, to earn your righteousness by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. To us, right here, right now, 2023, there's no amount of worldly things we can do. There's no amount of good things we can do. There's no amount of earning our way to heaven. There's no amount of writing checks all the way to heaven. Oh, we're going to write checks and we're going to give and donate and do all these things as, as a means to salvation. Understand that because there's a lot of people today that are saying it's Jesus plus something else. So Paul understood that true Christian progress true growth would only come in being increasingly conformed to the image of Christ's death and resurrection and nothing else. You can go to the book of Acts and read more about Paul's conflict, conflicts with the Jews that were holding to the Old Testament law. You can read about these arguments and this heated debates and all of this in Galatians. Go back and read it. So he's addressing this head on with the Philippians and he's saying, don't walk into this trap. Don't walk into this trap. Now, the Judaizers teaching that the Gentiles must first become Jews and obey all of the Old Testament laws in order to be saved was absolutely abhorrent to Paul. And it was a teaching that he fought to correct. Okay, so now. Let's go down. Let me make sure I'm not, not off track in my notes. I don't want to miss anything here. Okay, verse three. Let's read verse three again. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What did Paul mean when he was talking to the Philippians and he said, we are the circumcision? We're going to go deep into this, so get ready to take notes, okay? Because I didn't send out any materials, so feel free to take notes. Verse 3, the true people of God, the circumcision, are those who worship by the Spirit of God. Let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to do a little bit of flipping tonight. Let's turn to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. It says, John 4, verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, not those who adhere to the law or Jesus plus anything, Jesus plus something else, some other way to salvation, some other means. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. In verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He was so against, Paul was so against the Judaizers, ladies, that he was issuing the Philippians a very staunch warning against their ways because their teachings tended to set aside the great doctrine of salvation. Write it down. The Judaizers' teachings, their teachings, what they, what they adhere to, the, the law, the ceremonial law, it, it set aside the great doctrine of salvation by the merits of Jesus Christ our redeemer, redeemer. That means he bought us and he bought us with a price and, and, and he came to make a way where there was no other way, right? And that is a work that only Jesus Christ can do. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that the Philippians could do. There's nothing that you and I can do in our lives, but accept this precious gift of grace, which literally means favor through faith in Christ alone. So this was, this was rejecting the work. They're, they're saying that you had to hold to all of these things. Circumcision included was rejecting the absolute work of Jesus Christ. This is a, this isn't a, a matter that you take lightly. So he was really giving them a warning. I want you to write this down. I want you to write it down. It's so simple, but it's a good way. And just repeat it over and over and over because it'll come to mind when you're out and about and you're talking to people. It's a simple way to put it through grace alone, put next to grace in parentheses, favor through favor through unmerited, undeserved favor, right? Through grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. That, that is saying, ladies, that, that this, this grace, grace is a gift. Grace is saying, you don't deserve it. All you have to do is accept it. You don't deserve this gift but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because it's favor, this precious gift. Let us never add anything to that. Let us never add anything to that through grace alone, by faith. See, why is faith so hard? Parking it, bringing it right here in modern day. Why is this faith walk so hard? Well, one reason, one reason is the culture, again, bringing it right here, right now, the culture that we live in today, the way that we function today is a world that says you have to work for everything. You have to earn everything. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't get it. You don't deserve it. Work, 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 strive, 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 me, me, me. This faith, this, this faith it takes us to say, Lord, I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. All I can bring to you is my filthy, dirty rags. I have no good in me. There's no, there's no good. The heart is deceptively 
wicked, scripture tells us. I have nothing to bring you. But you accept this precious gift by faith. Another thing, another thing to understand is you can look at every major world religion and belief, every major world religion and belief, and they all are a works-based system. You've got to earn your way to heaven. You've got to work your way to paradise. You've got to do this, this, and this. It's all of all of those things. Christianity, true believers, true worshipers who worship God, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ in spirit and truth, true worshipers. Jesus did the work for us. We just have to be humble. It is the only religion. It is the only belief system. Not only that is true, not only that is true, but where Christ came and did for us what we could never do, one died for all. It removes the work. It, it removes us, uh, us trying to think that we can earn our way. It's very, very, very important that you understand that when we come to Jesus Christ, when we accept Jesus Christ, and this is the urge that Paul, this is the urgent message that Paul was giving the Philippians, that we come and we recognize that we have nothing to bring, that we are not deserving, that our flesh doesn't deserve anything, that our bent, our inward bent, that means our inward leaning, our inward desire is towards those things which God deems sinful. And yet he said, Accept this gift of grace, this precious gift of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, the perfect, spotless, and blameless lamb. Accept this by faith. And then scripture goes on to talk about faith as big as a mustard seed. If you see a mustard seed, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it is the teeniest, most itty bitty, tiny little seed that when planted grows into a giant tree. He's saying you just need a little bit of faith. And so this, this message that Paul was urging the Philippians to, to, to cling to of being a true worshiper, a true believer of Christ is a message that is, is very pertinent, very applicable to us right here right now, every word of God, Old Testament to new. What Paul was saying by his words, I want you to hang with me on this. If you read scripture quickly and you don't put in the due diligence to understand some things, it, it will not make sense. You'll read it with your 2023 brain and it will not make sense until you put in the effort. That's why you have to put in the effort to study and understand God's word, to meditate upon it. What, what Paul was saying when he said in verse three, for we are the circumcision, he was saying that we have and hold to the true doctrine of circumcision. This is true Christians, true Christians. We have Jesus, write it down, write it down right now. 
We have Jesus, which was intended to secure this right, for we are led to renounce the flesh and to worship God in the spirit. Paul was essentially teaching ladies that the ordinance of circumcision was not designed to be a mere outward ceremony. It was not designed like the Judaizers um, uh, really held to in their law, that it was this, this outward ceremonial thing that you did. But the circumcision in the Old Testament was literally meant to signify the renunciation right of the flesh with its corrupt desires and to lead to the pure and spiritual worship of God so there was the old testament law christ came to fulfill the law so paul was saying we are the circumcision because we have jesus christ right the true design of old testament circumcision was symbolic of denying Sorry, I have something in my mouth. Give me a minute. Here. <laughs> the true design of Old Testament circumcision was symbolic of the denying of self. What the Jews were saying, the Judaizers, I should say, they were saying, you have to do this. It's the ceremonial thing. Really, what that was, ladies, what that was designed for. Remember, I always tell you, Old Testament to New Testament, everything is a picture in the Old Testament of what Christ did for us in the New Testament. Every single thing in the Old Testament, you will find its fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament. The true design was symbolic of the denying of self and true flesh nature and truly worshiping God in the Old Testament. The Judaizers began to add to and say that it was necessary to salvation. So really, the circumcision was symbolic, but the Judaizers were taking it a step further and saying, no, it's necessary for salvation, losing sight of its symbolism. Continuing on in verse three, it says, let's read that again together, who worship. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in our flesh, no confidence. This means, ladies, that through Jesus Christ, we've renounced the flesh. That Old Testament symbolism of circumcision and renouncing the flesh and worshiping God. What this means is through Christ, we've renounced the flesh. When you come to Jesus Christ, you truly accept him as your Lord and Savior. Paul's talking to the Philippians, and we're, we're bringing it here and now as well. We have renounced the flesh. I hope you're writing this down. Number two, it means when we worship by the Spirit of God, right, that we've become true worshipers of God and have attained through Jesus and only through Jesus, what was originally contemplated by circumcision. So it's a picture. It's a picture. We have no confidence in our flesh, ourselves, our works. Paul was telling the Philippians, have no confidence in yourselves, your flesh, your works. Have zero confidence in that. Nothing but Jesus and Jesus alone, because he is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He did purchase us with a price. And guess what? Write it. 
Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. So he's urging them. And, and, and it's, uh, ladies, if you really read these passages over and over and study, you'll find that it is, it's not just a, hey, here's a suggestion. He's strongly giving them a warning because it's an easy trap to fall into. Let's go and read verses four through six. Though I myself, he says, so he's giving his example. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul said. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he like goes on to like literally break it down, check, check, check. What the, all the Judaizers, what they love to hold to, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as a righteous, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless. So Paul's opposing the Judaizers was not because he himself, gals, it wasn't because he lacked any Jewish pedigree. He's saying, I've been there. I've done that. I've adhered to that. When it came to things of the flesh, to the whole system that held in place before the coming of Christ and the giving of the spirit, Paul had perfect credentials. Paul knew. Paul wasn't talking to the Philippians because he didn't know. He was talking to them and saying, I've checked all those boxes and I know that that's not the way, right? He was circumcised on the eighth day that was in accordance with Old Testament law. He knew the tribe that he came from, okay? He was ready. Hebrews, a Hebrew of Hebrews likely indicated his descent from Jewish ancestors. He was from one of the strictest religious sects, the Pharisees. Okay, we all know Paul's story. He had even been a persecutor, a great persecutor, mind you, of the church. If anyone could be blameless in the following of the law, gals, it was Paul. So don't let that peace be lost on you. Don't let that be lost on you. But before God, it, it was no righteousness at all in his life. It was not righteousness. He thought it was. It was not righteousness. For though Paul thought he was pleasing God and persecuting the church, ladies, he showed himself to be the foremost of sinners. He showed himself to be the foremost of sinners. Why did Paul share those things? Why did Paul share that? The meaning of Paul sharing these things is that he did all he could listen close if we're distracted. He did all that he could do to obtain salvation by mere observance of the law before his true conversion, before his true conversion. And in seven and eight, verses seven and eight, we're going to look at profits and losses, right? I'm no accountant, but we're going to talk about profits and losses and what he deemed. He said, I've been there. I've done it. 
none of that works before his true conversion. Let's read verse seven and eight. He goes on to say, so after he gave all of the things that he, he checked, he said, but whatever gain I had, verse seven, Philippians three, verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Verse eight, indeed, I count everything as lost, not just some things. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That's meaningless. That's worthless. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. We're going to break this down. You see him go in verse four through six, essentially saying before my conversion, this is what I did. I was a Judaizer. I was just like them. I held to the law. I did all the things and these things don't work. And then right there in verse seven and eight, he said, I counted all, all of it, everything a loss, but for Christ. Write this down, gals. Paul's perspective between verse four and six and seven and eight, Paul's perspective changed greatly before his conversion and after his conversion, I should say. His perspective changed. His power, you wanna talk about a world that puts, bringing it right here, modern day, 2023. Do you wanna talk about a world that puts so much emphasis on power, on prestige, on idolatry. Gals, it is so easy to walk into the trap. Please hear me out. It is so easy right now for us in this world with our devices to walk into the trap of idolatry. We lose our marbles as a society over people, over celebrities. Literally, you see young children just crying when they see a flesh, sin-filled human being. This is idolatry. He's saying his power, his prestige, his obedience is strict, strict obedience to the law was now counted as a loss. There was nothing good in it. Likewise. Likewise, the crucified Messiah, Messiah, write Messiah, write Messiah down. And then next to it, write anointed one, anointed one. Likewise, the crucified Messiah is now seen as the ultimate gain. Paul is saying no amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of holding to the law. He's saying to the Philippians, be a true worshiper, a true worshiper. Understand that you bring nothing but filthy rags, but because of the grace and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus Christ, he is the perfect, spotless, blameless lamb. He is the fulfillment of all that is in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Turn to Matthew. I'm going to give you a second to get there. Chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. I'm going to read that to you girls. For whoever would save his life, it says, 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Power, prestige, obedience, but he loses his soul. He forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Gals, I want you to write a few points down. Okay? Profits and losses, true profits and losses. The person who rejects God's will. If you were here last week, you remember me saying to you that one of my greatest prayers is that, that I'm in step with God's will. And sometimes when things aren't going the way I want them in my life, want them to go, I think, I pray for God's will. And honestly, if it's touching my life, I trust him fully, right? That's mountaintops and that's valleys. The person who rejects, I hope you're writing it, the person who rejects God's will and instead pursues his own will for his life ultimately loses eternally every earthly good that he's trying to protect. You see this all the time. Oh my gosh. I, I, I by nature, I've seen this in, in my industry, in my world, with what my husband and I do. You see it all the time. So many people striving, their 401ks, their investment. Are these things bad? No, I invest. I invest with my husband. It's, it's the, 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 per, um, the perspective. It's the, the view that this earth is not our home. If we lose it all tomorrow, we have everything in Christ. Eternally, here and now, but certainly eternally when we get to be with him forever. And, and you see people, it's like they put all of their, their efforts into building this kingdom on earth. It's all about their sphere and what's going on in their little world. It's so inward focused. And it's just so fleeting. And that's what Paul is saying, that if we do not focus on Christ, if we don't make sure our heart posture is right, he's saying to the Philippians and he's saying to us through God's word, if we don't take the time to focus our efforts on the right games, the right things, Jesus Christ and glorifying him in thought, word, and deed. If all we're doing is focusing on what is, what is just so empty and fleeting, we stand a chance to miss, to miss the boat, girls, truly. The person who rejects God's will and pursues his own will for his life ultimately loses every earthly good he's trying to protect. That is essentially what Paul was saying to them. The second thing is acquiring all of the money, pleasure, and power. What our world, especially right now, says matters. 
all of these things, acquiring all the money, pleasure, and power in the world brings no lasting benefit if one forfeits his soul to spiritual death and separation from God. You can read in the passages of scripture where we all, we all will have to answer for what we did with what God gave us, every single one of us. But there is no thought as I dig into the passages of scripture and I, I work to prepare these teachings to teach you girls, there's no thought to me that is more devastating and more terrifying than thinking of eternal separation from God. Ladies, we have to make sure, just as Paul was urging the Philippians, that we're getting our focus right, that we're getting our perspective right. Let's go down to verse nine. I'm gonna do some of these in chunks, so don't worry, but these I'm, I'm honing in on. Verse nine says, and be found in him. Okay, so he said, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then verse nine, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul saying, not having that type of righteousness, but the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That depends, highlight it, that depends on faith faith. To be found in, in him means to be spiritually united, ladies, with Christ. Circle be found in your Bible and, and literally write a little note to be spiritually united with Christ and therefore found not guilty before God. If you are not found spiritually united, with Christ, you will not be found right before God. And that is a teaching that the world does not like. They love to sugarcoat it. They love to fluff it up. But the brutal reality is for us to be found spiritually united with Christ, that ought to be the aim of our life. It means being found not guilty before God. You can never do that. Paul was saying to the Philippians, you could never do that. That's not anything in the world that the law can save you from. Warning after warning after warning is given throughout scripture of this very, very thing. And still to this day, you have people adhering to the law and rejecting the Messiah. You cannot do this. You cannot work your way to this. You cannot buy your way to this. You cannot earn your way to this. You cannot accolade your way to this. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. It is only through, only through, only through childlike faith in Christ that you come before him and you say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to bring. But I want you to reside over my life and my heart. I want my perspective to change. I want my posture to change. 
I want my heart to change. And it starts with declaring you as king over my life and my heart. And ladies, boy, oh my goodness, I'm getting fired up because it is it is life-changing stuff. When you come to know Jesus Christ, it is like that blind, the blinders are taken off your eyes. And that's what Paul was saying to the Philippians. The blinders were taken off my eyes, quite literally. Before my conversion, I was adhering to all of the things and none of those things could save me. But after, by simple faith in Christ, by simple faith, write it down, by simple faith in Christ accepting his free gift of grace this this notion that's foreign in our society it's a notion that's foreign to just accept this free gift of grace but 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 i didn't earn it what did i do that is the point you didn't earn it i didn't earn it there's nothing we could ever do that's why god sent us jesus that's why he sent the messiah that's why he gave us a way all you have to do is accept it through faith. And as simple as that is, as simple as that is, as simple as that is, it is rejected daily. And it is rejected in droves now. Droves. Why am I so passionate about teaching God's word verse by verse and chapter by chapter? Old Testament, New Testament. Why am I so passionate? Because we have dormant, dormant people who don't know God's word. We have Christians that, that just say they're Christians with their lips, but they don't live it. They don't show it. They don't emulate it. They don't model it. Ladies, if you take your last breath tonight, pausing, it's not in my notes. If you lay your beautiful head on your pillow tonight, the only thing that is going to matter is not your 401k, not how you dressed, not what kind of car you drove. The only thing that's going to matter is were you right with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Let us live with that passion and that fervor to get this message out to the world. As much as I talk about the bad things of technology, there's certainly a lot of good things to technology. If we utilize them, if we channel them properly, meaning we discipline ourselves not to get caught up in the filth and the garbage and all those things, but we, we take it and we use it as a tool, we can only trust in, in right standing before God that comes through Christ. If you have not accepted Christ, if you are prideful, you will meet your maker. You will meet God. You will not be in right standing. You do not want to be in that place. I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. A few quick points. Number one, God imputes. Christ's lifelong record. This is so simple. It makes it very simple, especially if you're new in your walk with Jesus. Some of this may sound very, very foreign or hard to understand. Okay. God imputes Christ's lifelong record of perfect obedience to the person who trusts in him for salvation. So when you accept Christ, and I know you guys know this, but, but let's be real. We all need these reminders. 
So when God looks at you and you've accepted Christ, he doesn't see your filthy rags. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. What a gift. What a gift. I'm going to say it again because I'm like really feeling this with every cell in my body and every pore. What a gift. He thinks of Christ's obedience as belonging to that person. When you accept Jesus, God looks and says, okay, Christ's obedience, that, that belongs to you. Christ's life, his perfect life, that, that, that's what I see. That's what I see. What a, what a gracious, merciful God. So when we, those of who us, only those of us who accept Jesus, when we've accepted Jesus, when we stand before God, it is not as guilty, but it is righteous. And we're not going to stand before God and say, but I saved this much money. I had this in my 401k. I had this in my Roth IRA. I set my family up for life. I have 47 degrees. I did this and I did this and I did that. I wrote a check every Sunday. I wrote a check, man, and it was a big check, God. None of that matters. What matters is that you accept the gift that he sent to make a way. It is not as guilty, but as righteous. Jesus alone did what we never could. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. So as Paul looked at those Philippians and he said, we are the circumcision. Jesus came to fulfill the law. We are true Christians are the circumcision. Verse 10 and 11, verse 10 and 11, breezing right along. I'm doing great on time. That I may know him, he said. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The goal of trusting in Christ, ladies, is to truly know him. It's a personal relationship and to truly know the power of the resurrection. Everything, truly everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. If you ever have anyone that says or denies the resurrection, go read the case for Christ. Write it down. The case for Christ, Lee Strobel. The case for faith, Lee Strobel. He's got a whole series. He was a journalist. He was an atheist in a nutshell. He sought out to literally disprove Christ and is a journalist. He was a good journalist. He sought out to disprove Christ after his wife came to faith. And in the process of this, all of this digging, 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 interviewing, interviewing. He came to accept Christ because he realized, my goodness, I cannot disprove Jesus Christ. To know the power of his resurrection, the power that Christ exerts now from the right hand of God. Scripture says that he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. He does it all. He did it all and he does it all. Don't you ever get so puffed up that you think you can do anything apart from Christ. Simple childlike faith. And then he goes on to talk about in verse 12, straining some 
versions say striving, some say pressing on, but the point is, is that he is aiming towards the goal, and the goal is not the bank account, the goal is not the lavish lifestyle, the goal is not the pride, the goal is not the accolades, the goal is Jesus Christ and eternity spent with him. That is the goal. He goes on to say, not not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's in that place and he's saying, I've not obtained this. I'm human. I'm human. I make mistakes, but I press on to make it my own. His perspective and his life changed when he met Jesus. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. My goodness, ladies, he's made us his own. He's given us everything, but yet we're flippant. We take it for granted. We show up on a Sunday if we have time, if there's no game after, if there's no brunch after, if there's no family birthday party or gender reveal after, if there's no this or that or check the box after, after, after. We give everything and everyone priority. And I'm talking to myself too, okay? Don't ever feel like I'm sitting here trying to like, like, I'm not, but I am telling you right now, we need a shift in our perspective. We need to know that every breath we take is a gift from God. And those breaths are going to run out one day. Are we right with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Did we do all that we could do with what he gave us? In these passages, Paul emphasizes the need for progress in Christian living. When you accept Jesus, it does not stop there. So many people are like, hey, I'm saved. I'm good. Go back to my same pattern of living. Go back to my same way. Knowingly and willingly, listen, knowingly and willingly step into sin, but be like, yeah, God will forgive me. I accepted Jesus. That flippancy, that, that irreverence, irreverence, the opposite of reverential. Fear, a healthy fear of the Lord. These passages literally highlight the need for progress in Christian living. Paul, once Paul met Jesus, once Paul was converted, once Paul accepted Christ and, and, and his blinders were literally taken off, he could see things for what they were, did it stop there? No, it fueled him. It motivated him. It motivated him in the dungeon. It motivated him in the prison. It motivated him to share Christ and Christ alone. Progress in Christian living. He is still involved, it was saying, in the struggles of the world. He uses that terminology, I press on to make it my own. Press on to make it my own. So many people mistake that for works-based living. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the balance of faith in Christ. You've accepted Christ, but a work, a fruit, if you will, juicy fruit, luscious fruit, not rotten, spoiled fruit, but there's a fruit that comes with that. So it's this faith, but it's this life that desires to please him. It desires to progress and to grow and to grow and to grow, but not to grow with earthly, worldly things, to grow with, with a heavenly perspective in this eager awaiting of eternity spent with Christ. 
And see, ladies, what's so interesting about that is it seeps into every, every, every single thing you do. I cannot do anything in my life apart from Christ. And I certainly cannot do anything in my life without mentioning Christ. If I'm back in the day, my twenties and thirties, I trained, I no longer do that. But if I'm in a home training, I'm going to talk about Jesus because I can't help but talk about Jesus. I can't help but share him. If I'm in a grocery store, I'm going to, I'm going to share Christ or I'm going to say, God bless you. And how are you doing today? Let me look in your eyes and wait for the answer. It seeps into every part of your life. Your life is no longer lived for you, but it's lived for Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is the goal. Right here, right now, that is the goal in our lives. The same goal that Paul had, press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Goal in the Greek, write it down. S-K-O-P-O-S, skopos, goal. It refers to a finish line in a race. Or, or my husband loves archery. It refers to, to archery, right? An archery target. He puts his big target in the backyard and he loves to do archery. Only on our fake deer. Let me highlight that for my girls. Fake. We don't do real. <laughs> we could not do that. <laughs> Right? But it is this, this, this focus. It's, it's laser focus on what matters. Paul is constantly aiming towards a heavenly goal. Ladies, we ought to be constantly aiming towards a heavenly goal. The prize in this passage is fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come. This earth is not our home. Our days are numbered. They're all written in God's book. And we don't know when our time here is, is done, but God knows all of our days were, were written. Every single one before one came to pass. And we don't know when our time is, but ladies, the urge is that this earth is not our home. Heaven is our home with Christ. We ought to live with that perspective. Perfect. Write it down because this thought, this thought is such a beautiful thought to me. Perfect fellowship with Christ forever. What we held to in faith, what we clung to in faith, we're going to see. We're going to see and not just see. We're going to get to be with him for an eternity. It's amazing. Verse 17, let's go there quickly. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's a pretty bold statement that Paul made to the Philippians. He said, join in imitating me. He's saying, watch my life, watch my actions. Because like I talked about last week in Galatians 5, jot that down, Galatians 5, go read it. Like I talked about last week with that. There's a fruit. There's a fruit. Life just begins when you accept Christ. The best of life on earth, the very best of anything we'll ever taste, only comes after we've accepted Christ and, and, and accepted him into our hearts as Lord of our lives. 
He's saying, watch me, imitate me, do what I do. Ladies, right now, right now, this is not a question for you to write down or to answer live. This is not, this is a question for you to genuinely, transparently answer to yourself. Right now, everything you do about word and deed, everything you do and you say and you, your actions, only to yourself do I want you to answer this. Do you want people to join in imitating you? I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to be very raw, like I am every week. There are times that I act out and I feel the conviction of, of God immediately. Like I get convicted by Jesus immediately. And I think, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, that no one saw my flesh. Let's just be real. Because if anyone ever sits here and says, I've got it all together, but you know what? One thing I can tell you is that I fail and I sin, but I feel it. I feel that conviction and I turn immediately. And what's so cool, listen, listen, listen. Don't get distracted now, we're almost done. What is so cool is that the more you walk with Jesus, the more you can't get enough. You're drinking from that cup, but it's just not enough. The more you drink, the thirstier you get, the more you want, the more you want to obey, the more you want to turn, the more you want to be an example, and the more you are, the less you fall. It's a process. You never take a child and say, hey, go walk. That baby starts by rolling over and then crawling and then falling and a lot of falling and walking and falling and walking and falling until all of a sudden they're walking. That's our walk. How quick do you repent? How quick do you turn? How quick do you, do you say, you know what? I went, do you know, nobody will ever <laughs> next to Jesus. Nobody will ever be able to tell you the real, 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 real deal about you like your spouse, like your spouse. I went into my husband the other day, he's talking to me and I was talking to him and I was so busy running my mouth that I literally like just ran my mouth right over him talking and like changed the subject and left the room. And as I left the room, I thought that was so rude. Ashley, that was rude. Sweet man didn't say anything later that night and he's like you know that was and I said I know I owe you an apology I was so busy running my mouth I wasn't listening and then not only that I cut you off let's be real let's be vulnerable let's be transparent let's be ladies that seek to live lives that others can imitate and when we don't live lives that others can imitate, let us be ladies that are real about that. Let us be ladies that are real about that and ladies to accept ownership. And take ownership, I should say, take ownership. Give me one moment. Thought I had another page of notes, but I may not. Okay, yes, I do. It's right. Paul was telling them, live as I live. 
and follow my example. That is the aim of my Christian walk, to set an example that others can follow. But when I don't, I come before Christ in repentance. And I say, I want to do better. Forgive me and turn and do better. Do better. Closing points. Verse 18 and 19, because we are not skipping these two. For many of whom I have often told you, and now, hold on, let me read this again. For many whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is chapter three, verse 18. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That means their appetites, what they want in the moment. Not living with an eternal perspective, but living for right here, right now. What feeds them now? What feeds their pride? What feeds their ego? And they glory in their shame with the minds set on earthly things. They glory in things that God calls sin. You're living in that world now. You're living in a world that people, the anything that scripture calls sin, anything. Look at the war. Look at the sheer war for the lives of innocent children in the womb. Look at that. That's just one example. Look at the men marrying men and women marrying women and the, the perverse nature, anything that scripture calls sin, this world is celebrating and it gets louder and louder and louder. I know more Christians who say, I call in the name of Jesus and I go to church on Sunday and I worship, but I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Sister, you are here to ruffle some feathers. You are here to tell the truth that you know. Do you know that you're going to be held responsible, not just for the things that you say and you do, the things that you don't say, the things that you just try to slither by because you don't want the conflict. You're living in a world. An Ephesians 6 world where you better, you better armor up and be ready. Enemies of the cross. Ladies, the cross was the actual instrument, quite literally, of death which the redeemer died to make atonement on, on which the redeemer died to make atonement for sins. So you have this horrific death of the cross and it is like the actual instrument. But in this, this verse, Paul saying the cross was used to denote, to, to refer to his beliefs, to his religion, enemies of the cross. He was saying essentially enemies of the cross, enemies or people who oppose the gospel. People who oppose the gospel, people who oppose the good news. In verse 19, the characteristics of such people are those um, people who are living in a manner which show that they were strangers to the gospel. 
that they are strangers. We all know people. We all know or have at some time in our lives met a person who can recite scripture, know scripture, but they can be some of the most immoral, satisfying their flesh people. They're just checking boxes. Number one, I want you to write this down. Very important. Enemies of the cross. Because it's not just people who don't believe in Christ. Listen to this. Number one, an immoral life is enmity to the cross of Christ. An immoral life, enmity is, an immoral life is direly um, rejecting and opposing the cross of Jesus Christ. An immoral life is not just an immoral life. It is openly rejecting the cross of Christ. Why? Because he died to make us holy. Write it. Write it. He died to make us holy. And a moral life is not just your choices to live immorally. It's enmity to the cross of Christ. Remember, Galatians 5, there's a fruit that will be evident in our lives. There's a fruit. It is not the fruit of perfection. There's no such thing. But there's a fruit of a heart that seeks him and longs after him. Number two, it's a life where there's no evidence that the heart is renewed. There's an evidence to our faith in Christ. When Paul accepted Jesus Christ at his moment of conversion, Paul accepts Christ. Did he keep walking like the Judaizers, walking like the world, holding like the world, holding to the things of the world? No, there was a fruit. There was an evidence. There's an evidence to a life that is touched by Christ. There's an evidence to that. You do things differently. You think differently. You speak differently. And when you fail, you repent. True repentance, something that the church doesn't want to talk about. You know that? People will be like, oh boy, they're talking repentance. That, that must be a that must be a backwoods, holy rolling church. No, do you understand that 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 repentance is woven throughout the pages of scripture that people are afraid to preach it? If you are not in a solid church, you better get out of the baby food church. You better get out of the tickle your ears pastoral teaching and you better get to a church that's teaching you the truth because God is righteous and God is holy and he sent us Christ to make us holy and a moral life is enmity to the cross a life where there's no evidence that the heart is renewed zero evidence that's enmity that's against the cross of Christ He died, write it down. Jesus died that we may be renewed. He died to make us holy. We ought to be being sanctified. That is, that is growing in Christ-likeness. Every moment of our, our lives, seeking to be sanctified and living these sanctified lives. He died to make us holy and he died that we might be renewed. And lastly, because we're ending, we are literally ending in the next five minutes. There are enemies of the cross in the church. There are enemies of the cross in the church. I'm not, 
disclaimer, because you have to give those now when you teach, disclaimer, I'm not telling you to go and say, oh, the church is bad. I got hurt by someone in the church, so I'm leaving the church. You don't need the church. You don't need the, you have accepted a lie if you believe that. But what I am telling you is that there are people who've never been born again. Weak churches produce weak believers who don't know God's word. When you have a pastor that stands on the stage and he's afraid to call the things God calls sin, sin, when he doesn't want to do that, when he wants to tickle ears, when he wants to have big fancy conferences to do that, him or anybody else that he signifies speaking holistically here as a group, I'm just saying, just, you know, not naming names, but these type of people that tickle ears, they lead people astray, weak. Churches produce weak Christians who don't know God's word. Get in a church that is strong, that teaches biblical truths, that loves people, that serves people, that does community, that fights for the least of these, all of those scriptural things. But a church that does not water down the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church that does not water down what Jesus did for us on that cross. Do you know how important that is in your earthly walk? Do you know? Get in a strong church. So many people, they're showing now statistically, if you pull them out of church on a Sunday, they're walking out the door to go get brunch, to get there and beat the lines. You stop them and you say, please just give me five minutes. Will you tell me the gospel? They can't. They can't. That should not be. Number two, those living in the indulgence of known sins continuing to feed their fleshly desires that's why i said so many people think okay i just have to accept jesus okay i accepted jesus but i'm going to keep cheating i'm going to keep cheating on my wife i'm going to keep having affairs or i'm going to i'm going to keep lusting silently or fill it in whatever the sin is i'm going to keep the sin of pride and not let that go i'm going to hold on to my flesh things but i'm going to accept jesus and think that's enough do you understand you're missing the key component when you do that? Christ knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He sees it. He sees every little thing. He knows the motives of our heart and he knows our heart. He knows a heart that genuinely wants to repent and turn. I am not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about a heart that genuinely wants to please him. And when you don't, you turn and you turn faster and faster. Those who have a deeper interest in worldly affairs than in matters of Christ. These are all over. Those who refuse to give up worldly concerns when Christ demands it. Some of these are convicting. Those who refuse to believe in particular doctrines, doctrines or teachings, they refuse to believe in certain teachings of Christianity. Certain things are in the word of God. They, they, God says a man should not live with a man. A woman should not live with a woman. A man should, should leave his mother and father and cling to, hold to his wife, right? Right? Because that's a picture. 
very biblical picture, but we're going to hold to all these things and say that it's okay, even though God's word clearly says it isn't. You have that now. You're watching churches divided over these things. And you think, are you even reading the Bible? Likely not. We must constantly search our hearts and be against and on guard, I should say, on guard against such things. As we draw to a close, I want you to remember four points, four very important points. Number one, it is a privilege. It is a privilege. It is the privilege of believers to rejoice to rejoice in Christ. We are not going through this world alone and we have the hope of eternity set in our hearts. We have the hope of eternity set in our hearts. Second Corinthians four verse 18 says, as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's what we look to, not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are seen are transient. That means they come and go. They come and go. They come and go. But the things that are unseen are the eternal things, the things that really matter, the things that, that the enemy fights every single day to keep you from realizing and recognizing. It is a privilege to rejoice in Christ. Number two, let us live with our eyes on the prize. Like Paul said, his eyes were on the prize, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us live with our eye on the prize, our eyes on the prize, a proper perspective. And let our actions be worthy of the gospel. Let us be able to say with confidence, imitate me. Imitate my life, imitate what I do. And when we don't, and we won't, there will be times where we won't. We turn and we turn in genuine, true, heartfelt repentance. Let our actions be worthy of the gospel. Let our actions be worthy of what Christ did for us on that cross at Calvary. Let us remember that he died, that we may be holy, that he died so that we have, uh, he made a way where there's no other way that we may be renewed, renewed in thought life, renewed in our heart, renewed in our minds, right? There would no, be no more separation. And number three, let all we do in thought, word, and deed, thought, word, and deed, thought, word, and deed, let all we do in thought, word, and deed be to the glory and to the honor of Jesus. Last one, number four, and this is why Paul was so vehemently trying to get the Philippians to understand this with the Judaizers. Number four, there are zero external advantages upon which we can depend for our salvation. None, zip, zilch, zero external advantages. Nothing, nothing besides placing our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. Our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus. That is not a hard thing to do. 
if you genuinely want to accept him as Lord of your life, admit your need for him, believe on his name, accept him as Lord and Savior, confess your sins, confess your needs, your need, I should say, for a Savior. But more importantly, pray for him to do a work in your heart. Pray for him to, to, to start to, to lead you, to be with you. Let him be your motivator. Everything you do, you do for him. Everything you don't do, you don't do because you want to honor him. As you seek to genuinely, 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 gals, as you seek to genuinely develop this intimacy with Christ, it is not something that you check boxes with. It will start to happen naturally. Your, your inward bent starts to change. Your desires start to change. The things you engaged in start to change. Your sins, the things that you you maybe struggled with, those things start to change. The things that you used to love, you start to hate. And it, it happens as you just seek Jesus, open his word, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, pray for those opportunities, be willing to have your schedule shaken up. Be willing to stay a little later. Be willing to come a little earlier if there's a need and, and God puts that person in front of you. But understand, in the deepest parts of your heart, ladies, that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He is the promised king. He is the Messiah. He came, he lived a perfect, sinless, blameless life. He died, he rose again. He's sitting at the right hand of our father, interceding for you and interceding for me. What an absolute blessing. Let us not make light of that. Go back, find it, watch it. I see some of you saying you want to do the replay, YouTube podcast, Ladies Who Love Christ Ministries. Lord, I thank you for what you did this evening. I thank you for your your word. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us all we need. You've given us Jesus Christ. You've given us your word, your precious, holy word, so that we don't have to, to guess, Lord. I thank you for what you did through Christ. I thank you that when you look at me and, and these women and, and our, our sins and our dirty rags, nothing to offer, nothing to offer, Lord, that you see Jesus, that you see his life. Let us be, let us be ruled, literally ruled by nothing in this world, but Christ and Christ alone. Let everything we do, thought, word, and deed, be to the glory and the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship of you. Lord, I pray for any woman here who maybe accepted Christ tonight or rededicated her life and heart to you. This is just the beginning. 
it doesn't stop here. This is where, where the good stuff really starts to happen. Do that work in her life, her home, her career, her marriage. Be with her. Let her see things from a different, fresh perspective that it is no longer about her, but it is all about you. And you'll use us in our location, in our vocation, in our placement. You'll use us in a wide variety of places. But it is not for those things. It is for you in those places. I praise you, Lord. You are so holy and worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' beautiful name, I pray. Amen. All right, gals. Very proud of you. Great job. Session three. Let me end it here. If you tuned in on the podcast or YouTube, I'm hyped up after that teaching. God bless you, ladies. If you'd like to connect with us, go to ladieswholovechrist.com. Our next study is going to kick off. Um, our last session is next week, and then we'll kick off in 2024. God bless you, and thank you for tuning in or watching today.